Turn to Romans chapter 14. We'll just begin there. One verse to begin with. Glad to see everyone out in this nice, bright, sunny, cheery Sunday morning. Amen? I like it when the sun shines. It's always a little extra bounce in the step, isn't there? At least there should be. Actually, I know a guy who, uh, he actually was happier when, the, when there was a, cl- a cloudy day. Yeah, go figure, right? All right, Romans chapter 14, verse number 12, it says, So, then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now, we'll get back to that verse near the end of the message Uh, But I want to start with a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, this uh, topic that we're going to look at today is a very serious one. And Lord, it's something that we all struggle with. And I pray that as we hear it, we won't be excusing ourselves or pointing fingers somewhere else. Or thinking the preacher's just after me, as Lord, uh, you're after all of us, and uh, you've used this even in my own life. So I pray that you would help us to learn from this. Please, I need help. I need strength. I need your guidance. I pray that you'd help me to say what needs to be said and refrain from saying what should not be said. Lord, I, I know I'm just a man, and And I'm not perfect, but I'm thankful for the opportunity that you give to present your word. So I ask that you'll use it and have the confidence that uh, the Holy Spirit, you'll take your word and and you'll you'll speak to hearts. May we make some good decisions uh, and spare ourselves and others a lot of grief because of it. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Serious prayer right now. I'm going to switch gears for a quick second here. some people enjoy playing games, don't they? I mean, actually, America has a fascination with games. There's uh, game shows on TV. There's board games. There's card games. There's all sorts of games. I think there's even some game going on today later on. Uh, have you ever played a game with someone who was overly competitive? Uh, sometimes... Those games aren't always so fun, are they? Um, years ago, we had some people over our house. Uh, many years ago. It was, in fact, it was so long ago, Ra was a college student, and he was one of those people who came to my house. Uh, and he's, he probably will remember this happening. Uh, <laughs> and there was one guy, it wasn't Ra. Uh, one guy who was, we were playing the game of Rick. So it's a long game. It's involved it's intense, and one game was one guy was getting ready to lose, and he got really angry, and he slammed his fist down on my dining room table, and hundreds of pieces on the game board went scattered. Uh, I mean, we're hours into this game, and this guy's going to lose, so he's going to let everyone else not be able to have any fun either. Needless to say, that dampened the rest of the evening. And people were like, I just remember, like, Ra was like, oh, yeah, just college student, like, eh, there's an adult uh, acting this way. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, this morning I'd like to talk about a game that people play that can be quite competitive, but it's not fun for anybody involved. So this morning, I'd like to talk about a game that people play, again, uh, and when, when you prepare to play a new game, uh, what do you do? You typically sit down, you review the instructions, and that's what we'll do today as we talk about this game. We're going to review the instructions, and the instructions typically have some of these uh, uh, things in it that it gives you the object of the game. It provides you the rules for the game. 
Uh, it discusses the people or the tokens involved in the game. Tells you how to win the game. And then sometimes at the end, there's a little challenge about the game. You know, get ready and do this or remember this. And there's, there's a good reminder. Little caveats here and there. So the title of my message and the game I'm going to talk about today is The Blame Game. And to make sure we understand how the game is played, I want to review the instruction manual for this game, this imaginary instruction manual. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to go through these. Those are my main points. The first one is this, the object of the game. So what's the object of playing the blame game? Well, primarily it's to find fault. You've got to find fault and see a problem in somebody else. And if you can do that, you're on your way to, to being pretty good at the blame game. But there's other ob- uh, objectives. Uh, to, to place blame on someone else for your problems. That's a good object for the game. Uh, actually, not a good object, but it is the object of the game. Here's another object. To deflect responsibility from you and from your family. It's like, hey, it's not our fault. It's their fault. So deflect uh, responsibility. Another uh, important objective of this game is to justify or excuse your actions and your reactions. Well, I acted this way or I reacted this way because somebody did this or somebody said this or this, this. And so here's the blame game. It's not on me. I'm Mr. Teflon. It doesn't stick. It's on someone else. So you've got to be able to justify yourself, excuse yourself. And I want you to notice how this works in a couple of men in the Bible. So I want you to turn with me back to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13. Try not to get bogged down with this because I'm just using these guys uh, as, uh, as illustrations on how the object of the game works. And we can see it clearly uh, by some guys here in the Bible. First guy we want to look at is Saul. We find him in 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Pick it up in verse number 8. Now again, the Philistines here were gathered to fight against Israel. And God gave some instructions to Saul through the prophet. Now Saul didn't obey. And we'll see what he does. He ends up blaming someone. We'll see who he blames. And so, um, verse 8 says, And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. So the Philistines are gathered together. They're about ready to have a battle. Samuel says, hey, wait here seven days for me. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering, and it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul now to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgah, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Now, he's not supposed to offer offerings like that because he wasn't uh, ordained to do so. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. So he didn't obey. He gets nervous because Samuel didn't show up, so he offers a burnt offering instead of letting Samuel do that. And then Samuel shows up right after he gets done offering, so actually he... And it did come within the appointed days. Uh, and he, um, who does he end up blaming? He blames the man of God. He blames the prophet. He said, Sam, you didn't come. I had to do it. 
I had to force my, I know it wasn't right. I had to force myself to do this, but it's your fault. No, who made the sacrifice? Saul did. And he's blaming the man of God for his actions. Well, how did it, how did playing the blame game end for Saul? Well, we just read about there in verse 14. And then, well, right, because um, he was going to uh, lose the kingdom. He said, thy kingdom shall not continue. So early on in his reign, God says, oh, you've messed up. You're not going to continue. So now he's going to rule for a while and the whole time knowing at some point this is coming to an end because of my sin. But it doesn't stop there. He continues with his blame game because he's pretty good at it. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we uh, see another instance. In verse uh, 2, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he had laid wait for him in the way when he came up to Egypt, uh, from Egypt. So he's giving Saul, Saul and some instructions. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. Pretty clear instructions, God said. Amalek was evil. I want you to go in and smite them and don't spare any of them. That was God's instructions. In verse 7, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed. So they were supposed to destroy everything, everybody. That was God's command. But they didn't. They spared some. Verse 13 uh, through 15 says, And Samuel came to Saul, Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I was a little deceived. He thought he fulfilled the commandment of the Lord. Partially he did. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which are here? He says, If you, if you really did obey the Lord, then why am I hearing what I'm hearing? Why are there animals here? So he's pointing out his sin. That's typically what the man of God does. He points out people's sin. People don't always like that, but that's what he did. And Saul said, well, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest have utterly destroyed. Sounding really spiritual. We did this to, or they did it. He said, they, they spared. Well, Back in verse number 9, I I thought I read, But Saul and the people spared. But when he's confronted with the sin, he's saying, They did. The people did. Verse 20, 21. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and utterly destroyed the Amalekites. How can he say that he obeyed when he was supposed to kill them all, and he brings the king. And then he says, but the people took the spoil, the sheep and oxen. It's the people's fault. It's somebody else's fault. I might be the king. I might be in charge of all the people, but it's their fault. It's playing the game, playing the game. Well, uh, how does it work out for him? Not well. Verse 23, for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. How did it end for him playing the blame game? Not well. He lost. First Kings chapter 16. So we see the example of Saul... Familiar story. He's playing a blame game. Not me. Oh, it's someone else's fault. So 
So this is the object of the game. We just see it illustrated here. Find someone else to blame for your actions. Then it's also seen here as to find someone else to blame for your problems. We find this in Ahab. Ahab, in in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse number 30, we see up to this point he was the most wicked king that Israel ever had. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Now, of course, his sin is going to affect the rest of the nation of Israel. Now go down to chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab. So here's a prophet comes to the king. He said, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. He said, King, God said, there's going to be no rain until I say so for these years. So God judged Ahab and the nation for three years with a terrible drought. Now go to chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, now three years into this drought, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab. And there was a sore famine in Samaria. It was a sore famine. It was a terrible, terrible situation. So he's going to go show himself to Ahab. Ahab's going to be pretty happy when he sees him, right? Oh, you've come to tell me good news that we're finally going to get rain and everything's going to be good. No. In chapter 18, verse 17, it says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? So who is he blaming? He's blaming Elijah. You're the one that's troubled Israel. You're the one that said there was going to be no rain. And he answered, verse 18, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord God, and thou hast followed Balaam. And it wasn't just Ahab followed Balaam, but a whole host of people in Israel were following Balaam and false religion. You know, not much has changed today. Just as Ahab blamed the preacher, the man of God, people still do the same thing. They find fault with leadership. They blame them for their problems, and the problems of their family, the problems of the church. and it's, like, it's the blame game all over again. What Ahab failed to realize is that he was the problem. Now, how did it end for, for Ahab? He lost the game. God, his prophet calls down fire and then all the prophets of Baal are slain. So Ahab loses all of his, uh, his, uh, his cronies. Uh, so what's the object? These two men illustrate it for us. The object of the game. object of the blame game is to blame someone else for your actions and for all your problems. And easy to do. We're moving along here now. Let's get to the next part of the instruction manual for the blame game. The rules of the game. What are the rules for the blame game? Well, there are no rules for this game. Anything goes. You can undermine authority. You can deceive people. You can slander them. You can assassinate a person's character. Anything goes with a blame game, and it usually does. And unfortunately, the first person that we lie to is ourselves. We think that we're all right. And many people who play the blame game actually convince themselves that they're justified in doing so, and that they are right, and Everybody else is wrong. Let me tell you this. When self becomes the center of attention, everybody else becomes the enemy. So, when Saul blamed the people for sparing the animals, he forgot that he was involved. He had deceived himself. So, when you start building a case against someone else, you will get your facts mixed up. 
You start plotting and planning and putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. And you know why they do what they do. And you know why they said what they said. No, no, no. You're going to get a lot of things messed up. Paul describes such a person in 1 Timothy chapter number 6, verse number 4. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. Now, notice those last three. Strife. Does strife in your heart towards someone? Playing the blame game. Railings, lashing out at them or someone else. Evil surmisings. You say, what are those? Evil, the words refer to hurtful, and surmisings is referring to suspicions. So, when you start building a case against someone, much of it is built on your suspicions about them and their actions. And God says that that is hurtful. And now when you start sharing those conclusions about your brilliant uh, suspicions that uh, you have conjured up against someone, and you start sharing that with others, it it reveals a lot about you. Solomon said this, Proverbs 10, 18. He that uttereth a slander is a fool. You like to play the blame game? Turn with me to Job chapter number 1. See, where's that? Right before the book of Psalms. Job chapter number 1. The truth is, a lot of people play the blame game. And it's not helpful. It's going to hurt you, your family, and our church. Job chapter 1, verse number 8 says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? He fears you, but yeah, but uh, you made it easy on him. So he says, verse 10, Hast thou not made an hedge about him and about his house? And about all that he hath on every side, thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Of course he's going to fear you, because you've been so good to him. So his conclusion is this, verse 11. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Hmm. We see someone else playing the blame game here, don't we? Pretty dirty player, too. He falsely accuses Job, and he says that uh, he would curse God if he's troubled. And we know from another passage of Scripture who the accuser of the brethren is. Who is it? It's Satan. So can I say this? Be careful not to follow the devil's example in becoming the accuser of the brethren. How sad to see God's people thinking they're spiritual but acting so devilish at times by wrongly placing blame on fellow believers. Says it doesn't happen. Happens all the time. The devil plays dirty and that's how participants of the blame game end up playing. No rules. Well, let's move on then. You know, we, we had talked about, uh, sometimes they discuss the people or the tokens involved. Right, if you, if you play Monopoly, you, you, you might be the thimble, the flat iron, the top hat, you know, the mountain police dude. Uh, or, you know, you've got the book, uh, not book <laughs> the, the game of Clue, right? And you've got uh, Colonel Mustard, Mrs. Peacock, and all these people. And um, so they describe them in, in whatever. So you, you know who the, who, who the participants are. And in game shows, they're not necessarily participants. They're contestants, right? 
And who's the next contestant on, you know, come on down, right? And so there's always someone involved here. I want to consider uh, some, um, a couple more Bible examples of people who played the blame game. But then I'd like to make some practical applications for us and look at some modern day examples uh, of people who play the blame game that most of us are going to be able to identify with somebody in there. But I want to look at the biblical examples first. And, and really, two people found in Genesis chapter 3. So if you go with me there, Genesis chapter number 3. Probably figured this out, that it's uh, Adam and Eve. By the way, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. All right? So there's only two genders, male and female. That's how God made them. There's nothing else. Okay, God's word said it, that settles it. Anyway, so the uh, blame game dates back to the very first two people who ever lived on earth. And uh, they provide a pattern (laughs) that has actually been followed by all of us down through the ages. And so we're looking at Genesis chapter 3, begin in verse number 8. And they heard, this is Adam and Eve, this is after they sinned, Okay, they had disobeyed God. They hid themselves. Um, They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst uh, the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said... Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not? Now that's a pretty simple question. Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to? That's either yes or no. And he he did what many of us do. Instead of giving the yes or no, he gives a reason first. He's giving the excuse. Well, this is why I did it. But he doesn't say yes, he just says, ah. So here we go. In verse 12, the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Yes, I did, but she gave it to me. It's her fault. And the Lord said unto the woman, so he goes straight to the woman now, What is it that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So you, you almost wonder, was Adam thinking, Oh, good. He bought it. I said it was the woman. And he turns right to her and he starts talking to her. I'm off. I'm free and clear. Uh, no, he's not. And so in verse 13, the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me. And I did eat. So then Eve's probably thinking, Work for Adam. Does it work for me? And so in verse 14, the Lord God said unto the serpent, she's probably thinking, oh yeah, look at that. I shifted the blame. Now he's talking to the serpent. I'm free and clear. No, she's not. We know the end of the story. There's a a curse put on the serpent, who was Satan. There's a curse put on uh, the woman. There's a curse put on the man. And uh, Adam and Eve are both kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So, now, nobody got away with anything. But Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God, and their guilty conscience led them to play the blame game. And that's often why we play the blame game, is because we have a guilty conscience. Instead of dealing with our sin and confessing it, we have to either excuse it, justify it, or cast blame somewhere else. So, they made some moves. You know, every... Every game has some trick moves, right? If you play chess, there's some certain moves that you're just waiting, you're plotting, and you get that, you know you're going to win. You're just waiting for them to make the wrong move, and then you're like, ah, checkmate. Ah. And so there's, there's this key, tricky moves. Consider a couple of these moves that they made in the blame game, and you'll also see that we use the same moves today. They're pretty common, pretty popular. So the first one is outward blame. Adam blamed Eve. He said, hey, it's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. 
Then see downward blame. Eve blamed the serpent, right? It's the devil's fault. The devil made me do it, right? People say that, well, you know, the devil tempted me, the devil this, and so people just blame the devil. And then the last part, we see upward blame. Adam actually blamed God. He said, um, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me. Lord, uh, here's a woman, but remember, you gave her to me. It's your fault. Now, he didn't say, we're not going to come out and boldly say, God, it's your fault. But we kind of do that in a way. Those are very common moves that we still use today. We point at someone else. We blame the devil. We blame God. You say, I don't blame God. Oh, really? Huh. Children? Children often play, play the blame game for their problems. And they say, you know, well... My parents. It's my parents' fault. My parents messed up. My parents didn't raise me right. That's the way, that's the reason I am the way I am. And kids like to blame their parents for their problems. Hmm. Who, children, who gave you your parents? God did. You blame your parents. Who are you blaming? You're blaming God. Church members like to blame their pastor. Um, who gave you your pastor? God did. Yeah, you got Bible to back that up? Thanks, I actually do. Uh, Jeremiah 3.15 says, And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Does that mean they're perfect? Absolutely not. But God gave us our parents. God gave us our pastor. God gives these things to and when we complain about what God gives to us, we really complain about God. So those are some the biblical examples, but I want to get to the modern day examples. I've made up some fictional characters, characters that kind of represent us. Okay. Uh, first characters are these. Tim and Tammy Teenager. They're caught in sin. And here's what they say. It's not my fault. Someone gave me that stuff. I didn't buy it. Um, no, you drank the beer. No, 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 they, they gave it to me. Did they take the top off the bottle, stick the bottle down your throat, and force you to drink it? No. No, you drank it. Uh, they gave me the cigarettes. And so they lit it, stuck it in your mouth, and made you take draw. No, you smoked the cigarette. Um, you took the drugs. You looked at porn. But, but they all, you did it. It was your choice. Stop playing the blame game. How about Charlie Church member? Uh, well, the reason I have a problem with a bad temper is because I learned it from a pastor I know. You know, he was harsh and hot-headed, hot-tempered hot with people, and he acted like it was just part of being a man. It's not my fault, it's his fault. I learned it from him. No, we have a choice in how we act. We've got the same Bible that everybody else has, and God warns everybody that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You can find a chink in anybody's armor and cast the blame on him and say, he was a bad example, but you followed it. Charlie also says, you know, I don't like the direction of the church. Pastor's not all that he ought to be. You know, last time I checked, the church is... The people, not just the pastor. And can I say this? Oftentimes, the pastor doesn't like what the people in the church do, and he gets blamed for the actions of the people. I don't like the direction of the church. All this stuff's going on. He's not doing it. He's not for it. He's not 
promoting it. How about Wilma wife? If my husband would only be the leader of a home, I wouldn't have to be. No, wife, I'm sorry. According to the Bible, you're not the leader. He is. You may not like how he leads, but you have no excuse for not being a submissive wife. Because the Bible tells us what to do. How about husband Hank? You know, he says, if my wife gave me the respect and the attention that I deserve, I wouldn't have to look for that from another woman. So he blames his wife for his infidelity. And when a man blames his wife for his his adultery and his immorality, he is a scoundrel. When an adulterous husband plays the blame game, by the way, he loses. According to Proverbs 6.32, But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. Oh, but Pastor Olson, I would never do that. Whoso looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. You would never do that? Or have you done that? Huh. What's the excuse? Uh, How about Kathy Kidd? My parents were not fair to me. Sometimes they punish me when it wasn't my fault. Now I'm scarred mentally for life. And it's their fault that I act the way that I act. Their actions made me rebellious. <laughs> now, you make your own choices. There are many people in this congregation, young people, listen to me, many people in this congregation who were not raised according to the Bible. But they are happily serving God right now in this local church. Because everybody has access to the same Bible, the same God, the same Savior, the same life-changing power of the Holy Spirit, and the same avenue of prayer as anybody else does. And you can blame anybody else, and you can blame your parents, you can blame all the wrongs that were committed and done unto you, and say, I've got reasons for being bad. No, you don't. Stop playing the blame game. How about Vinnie Victim? I've been hurt. I should get a free pass for what I do. What I do helps me cope. Hmm. I could tell you a few other things you could do to cope. You know, it's terrible, really, and I'm not, I'm not making light of this. It is terrible when people have been abused in any way. And no doubt there are people sitting here who have been abused. Can I say this? God can help you. God wants to help you. He promises to help you. You can have victory. You don't have to be defined by what has happened to you. You can move forward. You can put the past behind you. You can have a good life. Joseph was hated by his brothers. You want to talk about being abused? Joseph was hated by his brothers. They conspired to kill him. They threw him in a pit and left him there. And he suffered in that pit. Then... They decided to pull him out of the pit and sold him into slavery. Being a slave, I've never heard many good uh, descriptions of being a slave. He was taken to a foreign country, a culture he did not know, people he did not know, a language he did not know. He was brought to ma- and made to work for an Egyptian ruler. He did the best he could. He made the best of his situation. He did not get bitter. And then... He was lied about and falsely accused. 
and then thrown into prison because of it and forgotten. He was abused in many ways, physically, mentally, emotionally, and yet he maintained a right attitude. How did he respond? He was a victim. How did he respond? Well, he sought the Lord. He remained faithful to him. He made the best of his situation. And as a result, God delivered him from those problems. And he used him to save the lives of tens and tens of thousands of people. When he met up with his brothers, and he was talking to them decades later, he said... As for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. See, God can take our hurts and turn them into good things to help other people with. He said, God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So, although Joseph was abused terribly, he did not use his circumstances to feel sorry for himself or to give himself an excuse to dive deep into sin. One of those ways he could have gone into sin was part of his wife. She wanted, to, she wanted to sleep with him. And he said, I can't do this. I cannot sin against God. I am not going to feel sorry for myself. I'm not going to let myself indulge into sin because I've been dealt the wrong hand. I am going to maintain my purity and my, my testimony and my conscience before God. I am not going there. And if you're a victim, you don't have to allow the actions of others to ruin your future. But many do because they play the blame game instead. They make excuses for what they do. No, but you don't understand. The psychologists say that if this happens to somebody, this is what they do. This is how they react. I got someone who's better than a psychologist. They can tell you how you don't have to react to that. And how you can have victory over that. Don't play the blame game. None of us can control what happens to us. But we can control how we respond. So there's many victims. Ooh, let's wrap it up with, uh, uh, as far as this point. Problematic parents. Well, there's two parents. There's Pius Pete and Persnickety Pam. And they say this. My kids have problems, yes. But it's because of those other kids in the church. Can I say this? In many cases... Other parents can just say the same things about your children. That they believe your children are bad influence on their kids. Unfortunately, pious Pete and persnickety Pam don't stop at just blaming other children for their kids' problems. They also blame the parents of those other children. Because after all, those other, those parents of those other children are horrible, rotten parents. I mean, the kids had nothing to do with being bad. It's all the parents' fault. And so now they're angry at the, the, the kids, those other kids, and they're angry at those other parents in the church. And they, they also blame the pastor because he failed to correct the parents and, and the children in the church. Wow. How sad, huh? Pete and Pam, they can see all the problems in the church and they know exactly how they came about, and they know exactly where to place the blame, don't they? Might be a little bit of evil surmisings in there somewhere along the line, too. But if you take a close look at Pete and Pam, you'll discover they're not very happy people, are they? You know why? Because nobody who plays the blame game has the joy of the Lord. Pete and Pam aren't happy. Vinny Victim's not happy. Kathy Kidd's not happy. Husband Hank, Wilma Wife, Charlie Church member, Tim and Tammy Teenager, none of them are happy. And all the reason is because of playing the blame game. Now we just considered some common contestants of the blame game. Have you seen yourself possibly in one or more of them? If we're honest, 
have all played the blame game, haven't we? And I can look back. I've played the blame game before. And I lost. And for some reason, I play it again. Forgetting that I lost last time. And I will never win at the blame game. And yet sometimes I'll be prone to play it again. And so do you. Say, are you preaching to me? Yes. And me. And everybody else who is listening. So how do you win the blame game? Let's go back to our instruction manual. How to win the blame game? Well, the object of every game is to win. And every game has a goal that must be attained in order to win. So, the blame game is a little different, though. There are no winners. Nobody wins at the blame game. Not the people who are doing the blaming and not the people who are being blamed. Everybody's a loser. So, if you and I want to be a loser, play the blame game. When I was a kid, I used to watch some game shows. Often those contestants won a prize. Say, for example, they won a pool table, right? And then they had an opportunity to trade up for a higher prize. A brand new car, right? And then so, oh yeah, I like that pool table, but I got a chance at the brand new car. I've got to guess, you know, five digits almost exactly to get this car, And the chances of doing that are really slim, but I'm going to take that chance. You know, many people take that chance. They not only don't win the car, but they lose the prize that they started with in the first place. And when you play the game, blame game, you always lose what you have. You lose your joy. You lose friendships. You lose your testimony. You lose opportunities to serve in the church. You lose family relationships. You lose peace. You lose contentment. You lose so much. And yet we still play. I'm going to win. No, you're not. Because nobody wins. Now, perhaps you truly have been wronged by someone. Can I tell you this? The only way you can win is to stop playing the blame game. So rather than spending your time trying to pin the blame on someone else to justify your actions, exercise faith in God. Try Playing the faith game. Whosoever, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Let's trust God to work out our problems and stop pointing fingers. Stop making excuses. Stop finding fault. And we have to realize that none of those things are edifying. God rewards faith, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them who, that diligently seek him. Seek him. Have faith, and he will reward you. Play the blame game, you will lose. Play the faith game and let God work things out, you can win. Now, that's how you win the game. You don't win the game, you only win it by stop playing. Now, let me give you the concluding challenge about the blame game. Now, Again, some games end with uh, some important things to remember, and so a couple things to remember. As we go back to Genesis chapter 3, uh, I won't read all these verses, but in verses 14 through 19, you will see uh, that the serpent's judged, the, uh, Eve is judged, and Adam is judged. And at the end, verse number 23, Uh, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So in the end, they were cast out of the garden of Eden. So I want to give you a couple of concluding thoughts about the blame game. First one is this. Even when someone else has wronged you or wronged us, when someone else has wronged us, we are still accountable for our actions. I said I'd get back to this verse, Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. I'm going to give an account to God. You're going to give an account to God. Now, did Eve influence Adam to do wrong? Yes. But who was punished when Adam did wrong? Adam was. He was still punished for his actions. Did he have to yield to Eve? No. Play the blame game, but 
Was he wrong? Yes. But he's still held accountable. He did it. Eve, um, was she deceived by Satan? Yes. So that's terrible. It is terrible. But she was still accountable for her deed, was she not? So even when someone else has wronged us, we're still accountable. The second idea, concluding thought, is if someone truly has wronged us, God will deal with them. Right? Adam didn't have to point fingers at Eve. God already knew what Eve had done. And did Eve have to pay for what she did? Yes. Eve did not have to blame the serpent because the Lord was quite aware of what Satan had done to her. Idea then about this thought is that there's no need to blame others because God sees quite clearly what they've done. And we need to learn to leave it in His hands. And sometimes we just think someone has done something wrong to us and they really haven't. So leaving it in God's hands makes sure that proper judgment's given anyway. And then the third concluding thought is that there's no joy in the blame game. At the end of Genesis, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the paradise of Eden. They weren't happy. If you play the game, blame game, you lose. You lose. Maybe you live a life of sin and you die and stand before God. And he says, you never received Christ as your Savior. You've got sin on your account. You're going to go to the lake of fire. You say, well, I was dealt a bad hand, God. It's not my fault. It is your fault. You sinned. Not your fault the bad hand was dealt to you. Your fault that you didn't repent of your sin and ask God for forgiveness. Have you been playing the blame game in any way? If you play it in your home, not good. Jesus said, if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Husband and wife blaming each other. Kids blaming the parents. Parents blaming the kids. If it was only your fault, if you didn't do this, this, your house isn't going to go well. If we play the blame game at church, we'll all suffer. God wants unity in our church. We can't point fingers and be blaming everybody else and still hope to have God's blessings here. But they... Trust God. Worry about you. Stop being spiritual police. Whether home, school, or church, the blame game is detrimental. I hope none of us will be the next contestant for the blame game. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're not saved, I didn't preach about salvation, but you can't blame God for your sin.